It's good to be in church, yeah? How good is it to be in church? It's so good. Well, um, welcome. If anyone is visiting with us this morning, we are thrilled that you are here. We are completely thrilled that you are here. And here's the reason why. Because in this place, we talk about a man called Jesus. And you are surrounded by people who know that He is the answer to life. That He gives life, He is life, He is the way, and that whatever you are seeking this morning, He is your answer. So we are thrilled that you are in the house with us this morning. And for those of you that are regulars at North Lakes, you will know that we are in the middle of a teaching series called Hold Nothing Back. Nothing. I think it sounds a bit dramatic, but uh, nothing back, but it's true. And we're going to look at it this morning. Um, this week, something happened to me that hasn't happened to me for a long time. I got a parking fine. I know. I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed. Um, I misread a sign. I, I didn't like, I wasn't being rebellious and thought, oh, I'll just park here. Who cares? I misread a sign. I promised Noah a gluten-free donut from Doughheads and he called me on it. And so I went and we went for 10 minutes to pick up this donut. I came out and I had a parking fine. I was so upset and it was, wasn't like a two-digit parking fine. It was a three-digit parking fine. I know. It's insane. Uh, anyway, and I get in the car and Noah goes, oh, can I have a look, Aunty Jess? I said, yeah, mate, sure. He goes, oh, that's my fault, isn't it? Said, no, 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 it's not your fault. It's totally fine. This is, this is totally fine. Uh, and he goes, oh, okay. Well, will Uncle Luke be mad? <laughs> I said, no, I have a perfect, gracious, kind husband who would never get angry at me for wasting hundreds of dollars. Uh, and so, but as we drive along, he, uh, he says, well, do you have the money to pay for it? And I said, you know what, Noah? This is what's going to happen. God is either going to give me a day's work. He's going to going to uh, um, like bring about a way I can pay it off or he's going to bless me. But I can tell you this, God is going to provide. God's going to provide. He goes, okay. So we get home and um, and he's, he's like telling me what I need to do when we get home. He's like, all right, you just need to go in there and just tell Uncle Luke, just get it over with. And I said, all right, mate. All right, let's go. And we go in. This is my nine, 10-year-old nephew. And, um, and so we walk in and I tell Luke, he graciously smiles at me. And my father-in-law happens to be in the room too, Ian, for those of you that don't know, we're related. And, uh, and I go and I slump down next to Ian like, oh, and he, and he just goes, give me a look. And he grabbed it out of my hand, put it in his pocket and said, that's enough of that. I said, no, 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 give it back, give it back, give it back. Come on, no, it's my problem. Give it back. He goes, no, and we're not going to talk about it anymore. And I was, um, he is, he's amazing. <laughs> he's probably dying that I'm telling him, telling you this. Um, but he, uh, later that night, I'm always looking for ways to bring into the conversation, God in the conversation with Noah, because I don't want it just to be a Sunday thing. I want him to know that God works every moment of our day. And I said, hey, Noah, I remember in the car when I said um, that God was going to provide he goes, yeah, I remember that. And I said, do, do you, do you know what, did you see what happened when I came home? And he just, he looked at me like he was going to burst my whole world. And he just goes, honey, Jess, 
Uncle Ian's not God. (laughs) He's good, but he's not God. And uh, funny, funny, yes. But it reminded me that we so often forget that the purpose for you and I still being on the planet is that God wants to use us. And that 99% of his stories that tell God's stories and his faithfulness, he uses his people. And this morning we talk about hold nothing back, not because it's for you, but it's for others. And, uh, and I'm so thankful that I have a father-in-law that held nothing back from me this week. But too often we are looking for the supernatural when he is just looking for our surrender. And people are waiting that I wasn't sitting at home waiting for a couple hundred dollars to just appear on my table. God was looking for a willing heart of surrender to say, you know what, I'll do it. I'll be the person you can work through. And so if God's looking for people, we need to understand what this means. Hold nothing back. I believe one of the greatest indicators of a life that holds nothing back is a life that is generous. How good is generosity? How attractive is generosity? Nobody whinges about a generous person. Oh, here they come again. They probably brought me a morning coffee. Probably going to be really encouraging with their words. Watch out, incoming generosity. Nobody whinges about a generous person. In fact, uh, generous people attract people. And the Bible says that the the world of the the generous gets larger and larger. And, And there's a reason for that because generosity invites people in. It doesn't repel. And there is a, there's an amazing story that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. In fact, the background of this, he's teaching about generosity. The background of this chapter is that Paul is writing a letter to the church at at Corinth. And uh, he's reminding them of something. He's reminding them that last year that they said they were going to take up an offering. And he reminds them, remember when you did take up the offering. And this offering wasn't just for anything. It was for the believers in Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem were under great persecution. They were finding it hard to work, to get employment. Uh, they, They were being put as outcasts. And the church needed the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. And so the church at Corinth says, you know what? We're going to take up an offering. And so they did. They took up a great offering and then a year later, it still hadn't been sent. And so uh, Paul is writing to them. He goes, hey guys, uh, remember how you said you'd do this, but you didn't? Imagine if every time that we didn't come through on something, Pam wrote us a letter. Um, You would have writer's cramp. But this is what Paul the pastor is doing to this church and, and he takes it upon himself to remind them that they haven't done what they said they do by showing them what another church has done. There's nothing worse than a generous person to, t- it takes a generous person to show you how stingy you are. 
Am I right? We're all really patient until we have to wait in the coffee line with a trainee person on the register. We're all really generous until we actually have to give. But So Paul does this and he takes the example of the Macedonian church. He goes, hey church at Corinth, can I give you an example of generosity? Look at these guys the church in Macedonia. And if, we, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read a passage from a message translation. It's 2 Corinthians 8. And this is what he says to the church. Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in the Macedonia province. Fierce troubles have came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit And the trial exposed their true colours. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. An outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there, I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. It was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and it caught us completely off guard. Who are these people? Who are these people who, who face fierce troubles? What does it say? It says fierce Fierce troubles, great, pushed to the very limit, trials, they were desperately poor, though incredibly happy. Who are these kinds of people? I don't know about you, but when I am pressured, pure isn't what usually comes out. These guys are pressured, triggered, and what comes out is pure and generous gifts. Strange, strange. And uh, I have had the privilege over the last couple of years of seeing strange kind of people like this. And uh, for those of you that may not know, I'm part of a music group and we spend most of our time ministering in America. And it was a real step of faith that we had to, uh, that we took to actually go and do this. And being overseas on this mission I have seen incredibly generous people, people who have been pushed to their limits but just want to give. I've seen generosity here at home, oh, no doubt at all, from friends and family and people in this church. But it's a whole other thing when strangers, strangers want to give, beg to give, plead to give. One of the, uh, one of the most impacting things, stories of just even the last couple of months that happened to me. And I can tell you, I honestly have lost count the amount of times that God has used incredible generosity of strangers as we have traveled. I couldn't even, I couldn't even count them all anymore. But this one happened just in the last few months. And so I just want to share it with you. We're in this place called Morris, Minnesota. You haven't heard of it, because neither had I. No one's heard of Morris. No one goes to Morris, but we did. We went to Morris. And uh, it was like so long to get to Morris. It was like trains, planes and automobiles getting to this place. And we finally got there. And, uh, and we're there and we're setting up for sound check and we do sound check. And 
It was actually, it was a town festival that we were a part of. It wasn't a church event, but the churches sponsored the entertainment, so they got in a Christian band. And uh, so we done, we had done the sound check, and a man comes up to Joel after the sound check, and he says, hey, what are you guys doing in the morning? Because it was Saturday, the next day was Sunday. And the right answer was this, we were sleeping in. Because on a very rare occasion, we got a lovely hotel. Someone had given us a lovely hotel. It was the World Cup final and there was free coffee in the hotel. So that was the right answer, Joel. We were sleeping in. But Joel says to this lovely pastor man, oh, nothing. And uh, he goes, great. You can come lead worship at my church. Better than doing nothing. And uh, to which I thought, is it? So uh, off we go. Um, So we decide, great, that's what we're here for. We'll do the concert and then we'll go lead worship and then we'll head off to the airport. And so the next morning we're packing up from our lovely hotel and, uh, and as I'm putting my things in my bag, I look at my shoes, my $8 Kmart shoes. And they had seen much better days than uh, that day. And I just silently said a prayer to God. I said, hey, God, if you could provide a way that I could buy some new shoes, that'd be great. Pop them in my bag, zipped up my bag, and off we went to lead worship. Uh, we got to the church, and I can guarantee you that an electronic trio has never led worship at that church before. <laughs> I guarantee you it probably won't happen again. But we get there, and it's about 40 or 50 people. Small church, little church, Morris, Minnesota. And... Uh, And we lead worship and God is so faithful. His presence was so beautiful there. These 40 or 50 people who probably are thinking, why is there a long-haired DJ up there? Worshipped passionately. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was better than doing nothing. And, uh, and then after worship, we sat down and the pastor begins to talk about us. Not that he knew a lot about us because we'd only just met. Uh, but he begins to tell about what we're doing in, in America. And he says, you know what, church? We're going to take up an offering. Us three sit and squirm in the front row and try and hide and get as low as we possibly can because that makes us awkward. We're Australians. We don't do that thing very often. And uh, so the church gives a generous offering to these three strangers they don't know. And I thought, God, you, you are so faithful. And he says, actually, can we pray for you guys? Can we pray for you? Come on, come on up the front. Yeah, great, great. We, could, we do prayer. We do prayer. And so he prayed for us, he said amen, and uh, after I see the two boys walk to their chair, but for some reason the pastor still has his arms sternly around me, and he says, not you, you're staying up here, to which I had a, uh, an immediate conversation with the Lord and said, I am not preaching. I am not prepared, you need to shut this down. I'm not preaching to this church this morning, Lord. And he goes, you know what? As I was preparing this morning, I really felt the Lord just say that he wants to bless you and that there's different needs for a girl on the road in ministry that are are different to the boys and and he sees your needs and he just wants to bless you. And he said, so what's going to happen is you're going to stand at the front of the church, stood at the front of the church, and you're going to put your hands like this. And the church is going to come and put money in your hands. To which I said, Scratch that, Lord, I'll preach. Um, I was mortified. I've, 
the, the vulnerability and the humility that that took for me to stand there and watch this church not once give an offering, but twice give an offering. And he said, don't worry, we're used to it. And I said, I'm not. He said, and it was just like it was nothing. He just goes, so come on, church. And I just watched every person in that church, women, men, children, come up and just put note after note in my hand and bless you. God bless you. God be with you, smiling at me. And I stood there with tears streaming down my face. I couldn't say thank you enough. And that day, God used the generosity of a church to answer the prayer of his daughter. And God uses generosity in us to answer prayers for lost and hurting people. I tell you this story because we might look at the Macedonians and think, what? Crazy. But there is still crazy generosity today that God wants to see from us. There is still outpouring and flowing that God needs from us that people might know Him. Because we're meant to be a reflection of God. And and the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved that he gave. And if we're a reflection of God, he loves, he gives, we love, we give. We are meant to be generous people. We are meant to be known as people who are outrageously generous. And you might be sitting here today thinking I'm talking about money. And that's the problem when we talk about money in church. We think we're talking about money, but we're never actually talking about money. When we talk about money in church, we're talking about our heart. And so what explains this kind of generosity? Just for communication purposes, I've given you three points. Not that they're the only points in this passage, but if you're taking notes, what explains this? Well, verse 8 says this. What explains this? It was that they first had given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving just simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Number one that explains generous, outrageous, generous offerings is this, that their giving was part of a response, not a requirement. They had first given themselves unreservedly to God. I love that he says this, the other giving. Oh, you mean the money? Oh, you mean the time, the service? Oh, that just flows. That just flows when I realise that I'm actually responding to what God has already done in my life. I'm just responding to how He gave to me. How could I not? Just let this flow. They held nothing back unreservedly. I think it breaks God's heart when we split hairs about, well, did he really say 10%? I don't know if that's the Old Testament or the New Testament. I don't, no, it just flows. No question about it. Romans 12:1 says it is our just reasonable response. Makes sense that we would be generous people. I love that he says unreservedly, no stipulations. They didn't say, I'll give you this if you give me that. I will let you use this part of my life if you do this. I remember when God first called me into doing this versus ministry. I very clearly knew the cost. 
I knew that it would cost being away from my family. I knew it would cost being away from my friends. I knew it would cost not being in this house. I knew it would cost that I wouldn't have a job or a home. I saw the cost and I saw it all. I said, yeah, yeah, God, yeah, I'll do it. If you do this and if you do that. And to which I heard him say, and what if I don't? Will you follow me still? God requires a heart that is unreservedly for him, not reserves in the back just in case you're not faithful. Who do we think we're robbing when we hold things back from God? Do we think we rob God? Everything is his. We rob us. We rob us from being the flow in which God wants the earth to see his son. And I believe today we get stuck in a rut where as Christians we don't walk in the promises and the authority that God has for our life because we won't commit to the surrender that is required to see it come to pass. We keep our hands on things. So you can have that, but mm -mm, not this. Generosity. Number two, how how can we explain this kind of generosity? How do we explain it? The church in Macedonia knew that generosity starts now. Verse 12 says this, that once the commitment's clear, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, so once the commitment's clear, you do what you can, not what you can't, because the heart regulates the hands. The heart regulates the hands. You do what you can, not what you can't. Once we've established the commitment, What's the commitment? Unreservedly giving ourselves to God. Unreservedly giving ourselves to God. Then you give what you can, not what you can't. What does that mean? You be generous now with what you already have, not waiting until you have more. Not waiting to be generous to say, well, when I earn more or when, when I save more, then I can be generous. No, they were generous in the now, right now. They begged and pleaded to be generous. Because generosity is not based on an amount. It is actually based on forgiveness. How so? Luke 4, 47 says this, I tell you her sins, and they're many, have been forgiven. And so she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Our generosity, church, is never based on an amount. It is based on how much you realize you've actually been forgiven. Our generosity and our love that is shown, that we show to people has nothing to do with our bank accounts, our time, our schedule, our resources, and everything to do with realizing I was once a sinner and now I am a saint. I was once dirty and now I'm clean. I was ashes and he has bought beauty. I owe everything to this man. Generosity starts now. I even, I get, I, when, when the Lord spoke to me about speaking about this topic, I thought, no, because then you're going to challenge me. I was driving, I'm driving a borrowed car at the moment. I was driving to church and I thought, oh, I better look at how much petrol it is because I'll have to fill it back up to there. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, fill it all the way up. You're talking about generosity this morning, Jess. 
Great. But if it was through the generous gift that God gave the world Jesus, and now you and I know him, so it's through a gift of generosity that you and I have now found life. Do you think his methods have changed? Uh, We are just now the vessel for Jesus on this earth. So as we give and we are generous, people see Jesus. You'll know my people by how much they love. So if generosity, I have this in bold challenge. Here's the challenge for this point. (laughs) If generosity is not flowing freely from your life, then take a step back and do these things. Remember what you're saved from. Remember where he has bought you from. And the second thing, establish the commitment. This is not a self-help group to make your best life yet. This is Jesus' house and where we encounter Jesus and we realise that we are nothing without him and we give him everything. Thirdly, and I'm wrapping up. I'm going to have a sip of water though. Thirdly, how do we explain generosity like this? Their generosity, they knew that their generosity would never exceed God's faithfulness. You ever heard that cliche that you can't outgive God? Won't he do it? That's pretty American. They always say, won't he do it? Anyway, anyway, it's fine. We don't do that either. We're Australian. Um, so have you ever heard... You can't outgive God. And it's, been, it's a bit of a cliche. And you know why it's a cliche? Because it's been said so many times. And you know why it's been said so many times? Because it's true. It's true. You cannot outgive God. Paul finishes this section of bringing the example of the Macedonian church. And he reminds the church at Corinthians, uh, Corinth in uh, verse 12. And he says, in the end, you'll come out even. As it is written, nothing left over to the one with the most and nothing lacking to the one with the least. Right there, he says, as it's written. So what he's referencing is that many years ago they had written this down. And what he's actually referencing is the miracle of manna. He's talking about manna, what happened in the wilderness. If you don't know what manna is, it's when the the children of Israel were led out into the wilderness for 40 years. They left everything behind. And for 40 years, they're in the wilderness. And every single morning, God delivered breakfast. It was called manna. Everybody got the same. And he's telling them, hey, if you're worried about that the flow through you will stop the flow to you, have a look at what God has done. Could we just take a little look back and see how faithful he is? Can I remind you, church at Corinth, that God has not found you yet and he's not about to, that don't think you're going to miss out. But, oh, if I'm too generous, then I miss out. God is not a God who lets his children go without. He's a God who gives more and above and overflowing. And to that vessel which will allow God to flow through, he will flow through more because he doesn't make swamps in people. He makes rivers. Rivers of living life, water flowing through us that people might know Jesus. 
And for 40 years, he gave the children of Israel manna in the morning and quail at night. But he did this to teach his children something, to trust him, to have faith that he was their provider. Because very soon, they would get to the promised land. And when they got to the promised land, their financial status would be dramatically different. But before their financial status was about to change, he wanted to establish their faith status. That he was the provider in the land of nothing and he's the provider in the land of plenty. Generous people know where their source comes from. It doesn't come from the savings. It doesn't come from the checking account. It doesn't even come from your employer. It comes from the Lord Most High. You do not have to fear. You do not have to fear when you give your life unreservedly, when you hold nothing back. Paul was reminding them that it's by faith we are generous. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense to be outrageously generous. In God's economy, all his children are taken care of. And when we give ourselves unreservedly to him, oh, that other giving, (laughs) I love that. That other giving, that just flows. That just, oh, I I can't help it. It's kind of bubbling up. I guess now is as good a time as any for you to turn to the person next to you and just ask, are you generous? Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you generous? Are you generous? Well, I thought I was before she started speaking. (laughs) I love that, um, I love that one of the most, uh, I love that the topic, one of the topics that God, Jesus spoke about the most on this time in earth was finances. And I'm not afraid to talk about it in church. I used to be. And maybe because I I didn't trust that God would come through, but I have seen too many times God come through for me to not just go, well, here you go, God. Now he's probably going to ask me to give a big offering now I said that. Um, But what's our alternative? That the world just tells us what money is? that out there just tells us that what the world sees as precious, God just sees as a resource. Nothing this world has to offer us is precious. Gift of Jesus is precious and that we would be open vessels and that our our complete priority would that God, I want to hold nothing back from you, not to make my life better, but that the lost would be found. We need our priorities straight, not that we could get a bigger house or a better something or this or that, but that the lost would be found. That is why we're still here. That's why we're here, because God uses people. And it says His kindness draws us to repentance. That generous people are kind and overflowing and loving. Could we be those people? And this is not condemnation. Could we encourage each other to say, don't hold back. God will be faithful. Let's see people come to know the love of Jesus. And if you're here today and you have heard me speak 
about this love and you don't know what on earth this love is. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And if you want to know him and if you want him to come into your life, there's a simple prayer. You can say it anywhere. It doesn't need to be with music going behind me. It doesn't need to be in dark lights. It's just this. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. His sin, he's already forgiven your sins. You don't have to ask him for it. You can thank him, but he's already forgiven you. Just give him your life. And for those of you that know Jesus, and you have you asked yourself that question, am I generous? And you know that there's stipulations on your surrender today. Can I encourage you? Hold nothing back. Remember again what you were saved from. What are we going to do with our stuff here? This life is like a vapor. What are we going to do other than build his kingdom and give our lives? What else is there to do? In a breath, this will all be over. I pray that we take as many souls into the eternal kingdom with us because we allowed Jesus to flow through us and that people would see Jesus. Amen.